Aloha and good morning. My name is Jürgen Steinmetz, joining you from Livestream.Travel here in Honolulu. We're here today with the World Tourism Network, and we're going to be talking about wine. Actually, we're going to be talking about taxation on wine, so it's going to be an interesting uh, subject. I uh, apologize for the delay. We had some technical issues for our guest, Ben Anef, joining us. Um, he'll be taking the lead and introduced by Dr. Eleanor Garley. Um, who is the host. She's joining us from New York City. And without further delay, welcome everybody and welcome Eleanor. Can you please unmute yourself? Eleanor, please unmute yourself. Okay, there we go. Okay. Now I'm good. All right, hi. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. Um, we're going to be exploring with Ben Anaf, the US-wide trade alliance president, um, a subject that, that doesn't normally get associated with wine and it's the issue of, of tariffs. Um, when we go into a, um, a wine shop or order a bottle of wine online or go into a restaurant to enjoy some wine with dinner, we don't usually think beyond what wine we want and the price that we're going to pay for it. How that price um, determine, is determined and how that wine actually got to our store or our restaurant is not something that generally is part, is on our radar screen. And so when I've been looking, when I was contacted to uh, look at the situation with tariffs and wine, it became a really interesting endeavor and a research project for me. And fortunately, we have one of the leading, the leading spokesperson, I think, in the US at least, on the issue of wines. And so one of my questions um, is, is, what is the end game? And I'm gonna turn the mic over to, uh, to Ben to talk about, first of all, what the tariff is um, and secondly, why the tariff has impacted so heavily on the wines industry when the, the incentive for Mr. Trump to put a wine, uh, tariff on wines last year had nothing to do with the original problem. So Ben, if you would give us some background on the subject and then lead us to where we need to be today. Sure, thanks, Eleanor. Uh, effectively, right now, there's a 25% tariff on most wines from, most still wines rather, from France, Spain, Germany, and the United Kingdom. Uh, all wines from those countries, 14% are under alcohol uh, if they're still wines, and then some higher alcohol wines from France and uh, Germany as well. Uh, the tariffs on wine are pretty unusual in the United States. And this all came about from a World Trade Organization case. Uh, it's the large civil aircraft dispute between Boeing and Airbus. So effectively, the World Trade Organization ruled in 2019 that the European Union was illegally subsidizing Airbus, the very large um, aircraft manufacturer. Uh, most of the subsidies were coming from France, the United Kingdom, Spain, and Germany. Um, they gave the United States an award of seven and a half billion dollars, or excuse me, seven and a half, seven and a half billion dollars, and uh, which allowed the U.S. to uh, put tariffs on different European products. So a 
pretty large portion of the tariffs were put on wines um, for reasons you know, that are pretty frustrating for those of us in the wine business because obviously our products have nothing whatsoever to do with uh, large civil aircraft, uh, the large civil aircraft case. Um, later this past year, the WTO ruled in an equivalent case against Boeing for the EU that allowed the European Union to put uh, reciprocal tariffs on US products, um, which they chose to do uh, this November. So we're hopeful now that uh, the Biden administration will start to look carefully at these tariffs, particularly once their new US trade representative, Catherine Tai, has been confirmed by the Senate, uh, and that we'll have some resolution on this issue and finally put it to bed. Well, what, what um, well, as you indicated that you can't, and as, as a wine, um, uh, a, a leader in the wine industry, you don't see the, uh, any link between wine and airlines or air airbus um, and- Certainly not. Uh, and so do you have any clue on, on how that, that those dots were connected um, in 2019, I mean, one of the one of the things that I wrote about was that if Donald Trump, you know, Donald Donald Trump never drank wine, he was into Coke, um, and so he just dismissed it as you know, if we're looking for some place to put um, a, a tariff, let's put it on wine. I don't drink wine anyway, so why do I care? Um, rationale or or consideration. On you know, why the wine industry was 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 identified and singled out. You know, it's difficult to say. I mean, Boeing, who effectively was the victim on the U.S. side of this case, right? There, you know, the point for the United States is that um, Boeing is America's largest exporter, and the European Union's illegally uh, illegal subsidies to Airbus harmed Boeing. Well, Boeing itself wanted the the tariffs to specifically target Airbus and Airbus products. Um, so what's confusing about this is even though Airbus is quote unquote the villain in this case, they were the recipient of the illegal subsidies that are at the heart of the WTO case. Uh, initially their products were only tariffed at 10% and some of them weren't tariffed at all. And only uh, recently were the, the tariffs on some of those products increased to 15%, whereas wine and, and also a, quite a number of like European food products were tariffed to 25%. So it, it's difficult to say exactly. There's a lot of speculation that Airbus is a uh, politically powerful company, not just in the European Union, but actually in uh, the United States. Um, for instance, they're incredibly powerful in the state of Alabama. Um, there's been some thought that uh, Airbus politically uh, has quite a bit of juice with uh, certain members of Congress that are particularly powerful, uh, that may be able, may have been able to um, influence the USTR. It's difficult to say. Um, there was also thought that um, the USTR was potentially worried about damage to the US airline industry who, who buys Airbus products. Although Boeing pointed out in their comments to the USTR that the uh, importer of record for Airbus products is not a US airline company, but it's actually an EU owned subsidiary of Airbus typically, who would only then sell those products to the US airline companies, uh, which should generally allow them to escape you know, additional price increases depending on the way the contracts are, are written. Whereas when the, uh, the tariffs on wine, the importer of record is a US owned company because of the three tier system and the way 
the importing and distribution world works um, for alcohol here in the United States, typically all of those countries along that, or all of those companies along that three-tier system from the importer through the distributor, through the retailer, the restaurant, they're typically always US owned companies. So that's one of the reasons that we believe tariffs on wine are uh, incredibly ineffective uh, at influencing the EU to change their behavior um, because we can show that they disproportionately damage US companies. But well, it, it's a good question. Um, the um, the uh, slide that's on the screen talks about the importance and value of the wine industry. Um, if we could just go back to slide two, I think, Thomas, that would be great. Yeah, well, um, okay, we did that one. And slide three. Okay, so could you address the importance of the wine industry? It, it sometimes gets lost um, as an industry and linked into restaurants or hotels or, or just a beverage that we have with friends. But the industry is really quite significant and, and a very large employer and an economic engine. Could you address the importance of the industry to our economy? Sure. Uh, well, the first thing that I would say is that, you know, as everybody knows right now, restaurants are really struggling. And for many, many restaurants around the United States, um, wines, particularly wine from the European Union, represents their single most important profit center. Um, as you know, the restaurant industry is incredibly difficult. The margins are on most products are often very low. Uh, there's an incredible amount of overhead from salary through insurance, through your brick and mortar location. Uh, there's a ton of upfront cost associated with owning a restaurant. And typically uh, food sales will not cover those costs. The single largest profit center for most of those businesses is imported wines from the EU. Um, they're able to buy those wines at, typically at a low price, which allows them to have a very healthy profit margin. And that's really not a luxury for the restaurant business. It's an absolute requirement for their very survival. So these products are really critical for restaurants all over the United States. Uh, you may have seen in the Washington Post, uh, the legendary chef Alice Waters, along with, along with um, famous DC chef Kwame Anwache, had a large um, op-ed in just before New Year's asking President Biden to end these tariffs specifically to help restaurants get back up off their feet. Um, outside of restaurants, the wine industry uh, employs about 400,000 people uh, between wholesale and importing and retail. And I'd also point out that most of those companies, the vast majority of those companies are small family-owned businesses. You know, we have about 57, 58,000 companies. Uh, most of them, or the, I think the average, um, the average company has about five employees. So even if you're, even if you're looking at you know, a wine from, from Spain or from France and you think, gosh, this must be some huge mega corporation that brings these wines, wines in. If you look on the, on the back of the bottle and take a look at the importer, typically those companies are small family-owned businesses. And even uh, on the, in the distribution side, the vast majority of those companies are small family-owned businesses, people who are really passionate about it, wanted to, wanted to sort of live the American dream. They had a hobby that they were really skilled at and they wanted to start a business. That's the way most of the wine business works. Uh, and it's one of the things that makes these tariffs uh, so problematic because they do, do, they do uh, impact small and family-owned businesses uh, much more than larger companies that might be better positioned to be able to pay for tariffs and the like.
Well, suppose I'm a winemaker and grape grower from, from upstate New York or from California or a wonderful place for my wines is from Missouri. Um, what Will I be a happy camper to see higher tariffs causing higher prices for wines from Europe so that people are then diverted to buy my wines as opposed to the imported wines? That's a really good question. Um, uh, it's unusual because typically what you would say is yes, right? Well, the, the pork industry or the steel industry in the United States loves it when there are tariffs on those imported products from other, from other countries, but it doesn't work that way in the wine industry in the United States. Effectively, every major domestic grower organization um, from the California Wine Institute to the Oregon Wine Growers Associations, they've all spoken out very strongly against these tariffs because the wine world of the United States works as an ecosystem and we all rely upon one another. Specifically, um, domestic wine growers from any state in the country rely on US distributors, wine distributors for their access to market. In order to be a healthy domestic grower, you need to sell about 70% of your products to distributors. It's the distributors who make sure that you know, if you have a small family owned estate in Oregon, the distributors are the people who believe in you and they take your wines to New York and Chicago and, and Dallas and Miami and make sure that your wines are put in restaurants and retail stores. But in order for those distributors to do that, they have to be healthy. They, have to have a, they particularly have to have a healthy cash flow and most of their cash flow comes from the sale of European wines. Uh, those are the wines, the, that have uh, a lot of the history with a lot of these accounts. Um, you know, for instance, like the category of Sancerre, there's not going to be a retail store or a good restaurant in the United States that doesn't have Sancerre. And, and it's a very easy wine to sell. Distributors make quite a bit of it. Whereas most US producers are small family owned producers who don't necessarily have a reputation yet. So they really need a distributor to believe in them and to put the capital that's needed to sell those wines and bring those wines to market. And when US distributors aren't healthy because they're having to pay a huge amount in tariffs, it means they bring in less US wine. It means they don't have the cash to take a chance on a new US winery that they wouldn't have otherwise. It means they don't have the cash to dedicate uh, to uh, making sure their sales reps have all the samples that they need to try to bring those wines into the accounts in the United States, both retail and restaurant that domestic growers really rely upon. So that's one of the really interesting things about tariffs on wine uh, and what, what separates them from tariffs on a lot of products is that the tariffs on even foreign wines actually hurt the sales of US wines. Moreover, we've already seen US distributors that have had to ask their US growers for price discounts in order to help pay for these tariffs. So there's really no winner here. Well, what happens when the restaurateur um, passes the, the increased cost onto the customer. If you like the wine, um, why not just recognize that, that we're in a, in a serious economic situation and you pay a few more dollars for your favorite wine. It's, it's, it's just a short-term um, expense. It, well, it's something that's starting to happen without a doubt, you know, prices are being increased, but at the same time, as prices increase, sales drop. So, you know, that's, it's the real conundrum that, that we're in here and that restaurants are in right now and that retailers are in right now. 
You know, on the one hand, they're, they're having to pay higher prices. On the other hand, they need to sell as much as, as much product as they can because we're in the middle of an economic crisis. So it, it's one of the things that makes these tariffs so particularly problematic. Because if a restaurant, for instance, starts raising the, raising the prices on all of these wines, the wines that people want, they'll make a little bit more per, per bottle, but their, sale, their overall sales may drop. On the other hand, if they simply swallow the tariff or the price increases themselves, now they're making less profit. And this profit, particularly for restaurants, is not a luxury. It's the thing that makes them viable. It's the thing that helps that business next door that you love actually survive. Because if you're buying a plate of pasta, they're not making any money on the pasta. It's the two glass, glasses of Chianti or the bottle of Sancerre that's really allowing them to thrive and allowing them to, them to employ their staff and stay a healthy, thriving part of you know, the local economy. Um, I have been reading that some of the best wines or the most loved wines anyway in the U.S. Um, are not coming into the U.S. market because of the tariff and the increased costs. And so the European wine growers and, and, manu and producers are not going into the American market. They are diverting their product to other, um, other parts of Europe or Asia um, in order to maintain their, their cash flow and their revenue. Um, and just saying, okay, American markets, let's, let's just move away from that market for the moment until they get their act together. So some of our favorite wines are not even gonna make it into our marketplace, is that correct? It's certainly true that particularly in the first few months after these tariffs took place that uh, EU exports to uh, countries overseas like China is a great example increased by you know, upwards of 30, 35%. So that's effectively what happened on huge numbers of wines. The exports to the United States dropped by quite a bit uh, and they simply increased their exports to other countries. One of the things you have to remember, this is one of the things that makes tariffs on wine so ineffective. Um, you know, most industries, you know, if you build widgets at a factory, um, your goal is to make more widgets every single year. That's what growth, you know, that's the growth that you need. That's what a business model is supposed to do. If you sold 10 widgets this year, you want to sell 11 next year and 12 and a half the next year and 17 the next year. Well, that doesn't happen in the wine world. Most of the historic regions of Europe, for instance, have uh, very specific limits on the amount of wine that can be produced. There's limits on exactly what vineyards you can call Sancerre, exactly what vineyards you can call Champagne. There's no increase in production. And moreover, climate change in many instances is actually lowering production everywhere. So what that means is uh, that when you put, you know, there's a limit, there's a bucket for these products and there's only so much they can sell. So if the United States, for instance, is saying, is putting a tariff that's going to make it harder for them to e export their products to the United States, they simply take the products out of the U.S. bucket and put it in another, in another bucket for these emerging markets overseas. Because remember, there's a lim limited amount of these products anyway. When you have growing markets overseas that want these products, they're going to have to come from somewhere. And you can't double the size of Champagne. You can't double the size of Chianti. You can't double the size of Burgundy. So it means you're going to have to take them from another market. And that's one of the things that we've certainly seen happening is uh, you know, there's been a large drop off in the purchases from the United States but you've seen uh, increases in purchases from other countries. Um, in the, at the retail uh, consumer level, 
Do you see that people are trading up or or buying down as a result of a change in their own um, cash flow? Um, is how are they are they changing their buying habits because of of the tariffs and price um, movement? You know, it's not something I feel comfortable saying for sure. I can say that with the pandemic in general, um, people have been buying, buying more wine through retail. Um, it, it, it's, I couldn't put my hand on any specific numbers though. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to overstep my bounds. Um, but without a doubt, uh, the tariffs are making, making wines more expensive. They're also decreasing the profit, both from distributors and importers and retailers. And they're doing quite a bit of damage to restaurants who are really dying for consumers and dying for you know profit centers and these tariffs really hit directly at that as as your alliance and other trade associations are um lobbying the biden administration to eliminate the tariffs are you getting support from the economists who look at tariffs as not necessarily uh, an economic engine Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I'm sorry. There, I just I mean, wanted to expand on that. The, the, do, does the American economy benefit from these tariffs? Absolutely not. I mean, it's broadly understood that these tariffs are, you know, a weight around the neck of the U.S. economy. And even uh, I believe his name is Kenneth Rogoff, who's one of the one of the, one of the chief uh, economists uh, in the United States. He has uh, he's been on the Council of Foreign Relations. He stated that one of the most effective things that we could do to help get the United States uh, out of the current crisis is to uh, end these tariffs. Uh, it makes absolutely no sense in normal times and in the context of a pandemic, having large tariffs that affect huge numbers of small US businesses makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. So are you, are you optimistic about being able to lobby the Biden administration? Well, right now they are in the process of getting the new US trade representative, Catherine Tai, confirmed. Once she's confirmed and in place uh, at the US Senate, uh, we believe she's gonna start looking very seriously at these tariffs. Um, we and many others have uh, known Ms. Tai as well as the new general, general counsel for the USTR, Greta Peich, um, from their work at, uh, from Catherine Tai's work at on Ways and Means, where she was the chief trade counsel for Chairman uh, Richard Neal, and uh, Greta from Chairman Wyden of the Senate Finance Committee. So we believe that the Biden team will have quite a bit of a, a, a of a experience with this. Um, they're going to know the issue. They're also going to look to resolve the large civil aircraft, the Boeing Airbus issue in general, um, hope, hopefully uh, sooner rather than later. Are the European wine growers, or not the wine growers, the wine buyers uh, of American wines, are they retaliating by avoiding or, or um, avoiding American, purchasing American wines? Because the you know, European market is good for American wine growers and wine producers, and are the Europeans and others retaliating uh, by not buying the American product? You know, I haven't looked at the export numbers from the United States. I can say that... Uh, the European Union chose not to tariff U.S. wines as a part of the similar uh, WTO award for uh, illegal subsidies to Boeing. So they had the opportunity in November and they could have retaliated against U.S. wines and they chose not to. What if, now, sparkling wines were eliminated from the 2019 tariffs. 
Do you know why the champagne was um, not part of the group? Well, there was quite a bit of lobbying from the US wine industry or all importers, distributors, retailers, restaurants, um, specifically on the sparkling wine issue. As a matter of fact, the, here, the, 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 there was a very large hearing at the International Trade Commission that was specifically on the question of tariffs on sparkling wine and champagne from Europe, particularly from France, as a part, part of a digital services tax argument. And uh, that, that single hearing had more representatives from the US wine industry than any other. So there was uh, quite a bit of lobbying done from the US wine world against those tariffs. Uh, that's likely one of the reasons why, they were, why sparkling wine and champagne was spared. So you're not familiar with the political reason that um, the champagne was supposedly not part of that tariffed group. There was an indication that it was a connection between the, the champagne growers and Mr. Trump that had a political uh, connection. I've heard the rumors. I'd say those same champagne owners also own still wines that are impacted by uh, the still wine tariffs. So that's that's probably about as far as I could I could go there. Uh, there there's not any more there, there's not good evidence that that's the case. And so the next step would be for um, the American consumer to help you in your efforts to eliminate the tariff or what can we as wine lovers do in order to um, keep the tariffs at bay? Well, you can certainly go to endwinetariffs.com. Uh, there's a link for people to sign up. They can write their congressperson. Um, I, I'd also say in general, um, keep your ear to the ground, take a look at the press when, when things come out. There are times when a public comment period will uh, be opened by the US Office of the US Trade Representative, specifically asking for input from uh, consumers around the United States. Uh, if you're a consumer abroad, it wouldn't be appropriate to comment, but if, you're, if you live in the United States, certainly it is. If you have a great retailer that you're close with, and everyone should, Ask them to ask them about the tariffs and ask them to keep you apprised because most good wine retailers in the United States should have a lot of information on it and they should be they typically will send their uh, consumer customers. Uh, their email list customers notice on when there is a public comment period at the USTR so so consumers can uh, actually reach out to their government officials. Now you organized a very large petition um, through your your alliance for people in the trade. Are you going to do something similar for the consumer side of the business? The next opportunity for uh, consumer action will probably come about with a public comment period. Usually those public comment periods are opened by the USTR around the carousel date. But we've just had a carousel date. Uh, effectively, these tariffs are, are reviewed every six months. Every 180 days, they're required to be reviewed. But this current carousel didn't took place at a time where the USTR was in transition. Uh, the Trump administration officials um, had have left, and the new USTR has not yet been confirmed by the Senate. So there was no comment. There was no uh, public comment uh, period. There may be another. They may look to do one. There will cer almost certainly be one in August, but there may may be one prior to that. 
Uh, and that's certainly something that will keep people apprised. Uh, and also, it, 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 the next public comment period, I imagine you'll see a large email uh, campaign from US wine retailers that we help organize as well. And for those of the people the folks that are here and, and interested in the issue, uh, should they go to your website for, for updates and ways to get involved with helping you um, lobby Washington? Absolutely. Um, go to uswinetradealliance.org. Uh, we'll typically have all of the most uh, up-to-date information and sign up for our mailing list. Uh, anytime there's a public comment portal, anytime time there's an opportunity for people to reach out, uh, we will certainly let you know. Uh, it, it's something that we've done quite a bit of. We, we've actually sent in two previous comment periods, we believe record-breaking numbers of uh, submissions, over 25,000 uh, letters to the USTR in January of 2020. And in the, the most recent public comment portal in August of, of this past year, uh, we sent over 30,000 submissions, which uh, are record-breaking for the USTR. Typically, they receive a few hundred or a thousand rather than tens of thousands of submissions. So this is something that you, the USDR has heard quite a bit on, and we expect that there it's going to be top of mind as the new USTR Catherine Tai takes takes office. On a side issue, do you know that Mr. Biden has a favorite wine? That's a great question. I do not know. If anybody knows, please email me. I'd love to know. <laughs> and what about Kamala? Does she have? I'm sure she has a favorite. Wine, I think she likes wine. I think she likes wine. Where, but, but I'm not sure exactly which. But you don't know their, their wines of choice. I, I don't. I don't. I would love to know if anybody out there has any idea. Please do let me know. Okay. Maybe now we can turn it over to our, our visitors and, and get some questions from, from our listeners. Yeah. And uh, you can, as you know, you can always uh, raise your hand. And, um, and ask questions. And in the meantime, um, I, I hope uh, no one can um, uh, kill me here from this end, but uh, I'm, I'm just throwing this out there. Why would I support tax support or lowering tariffs on wines when our economy is in dire straits and we have hundreds and millions of people unemployed also in the travel and tourism industry? Wine is considered a luxury item um, people that buy wine and buy expensive wine um, have the means to do this. So how would you convince someone like me who are thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'd be happy to spend $5 more for a good uh, bottle of wine, even if it's a tariff because it can help our economy, or am I on the wrong track here? I, I think you're on the wrong track. Uh, first of all, the U.S. government isn't allowed by the CBO rules, the Congressional Budget Office rules, uh, to consider tariffs as part of uh, future budgets, which means they can't, for instance, plan on having income from tariffs to put them towards you know, government spending, whether it's building roads or um, you know, giving a PPP check. Income from tariffs does not work that way. Um, Moreover, I'd say you know the re the the reality is is these you know you, you talk about us being in, in sort of a crisis, um, and it's true, and the businesses that are paying these tariffs are paying tariffs in, instead of hiring staff. They're paying tariffs instead of having instead of being able to rehire people. In many cases, people have had companies have had to fire employees. Uh, so there is no 
strong argument that I'm aware of that would suggest these tariffs uh, help our economy. And because of the wine, way the wine, work, wine world works here in the United States in this sort of ecosystem, uh, additional tariffs on, for instance, wines from the EU do not make for additional sales of US wines. They simply don't. We know that for an absolute fact. Uh, so there isn't a positive that you can point to. There's quite a bit of negatives, particularly small family-owned businesses around the United States during the middle of a crisis and the worst pandemic in a century, paying large tariffs they can't afford. Uh, people that are struggling to make ends meet, restaurants that need the profit from these wines to help the very viability of their business. Um, we know uh, all of the negatives around these. Um, there really isn't an argument that on the positive impact of these tariffs. The USTR would tell you that the goal of these tariffs is to influence the EU to change their behavior with respect to Airbus. Well, at this point, there's absolutely no reason whatsoever to believe that, that that's been successful. Um, there's, we've seen nothing from the EU to indicate that tariffs on wine or any of the, the restaurant tariffs, the restaurants on the tariffs on food products from the EU, um, there's been absolutely nothing to suggest that the tariffs on those products um, are making the EU considering changes to their policies regarding Airbus. Whereas we actually do know that Airbus is the single most powerful company in the EU. And if the US was actually interested in rapidly uh, bringing about change to the EU's policies regarding Airbus, they would simply put all of the tariffs on Airbus itself as Boeing had suggested. But that's not where we are. Thank you. And um, just hypothetical question and uh, definitely a good story to follow. But we have Hermes and Navarro. Hermes, I know who you are, but maybe you can just um, tell uh, Ben and everyone else where you're calling from and go ahead. Thank you. I'm calling from Costa Rica from the I'm part of the Tourism Institute and uh, in charge of investments. And uh, I have a question. I, as I remember reading the, the document that uh, imposed the tariffs, it was a, a large document of several pages that included not only wine, but also olive oil, pasta, cheeses, almost any product that symbolizes uh, what each country in dispute uh, makes uh, as its own uh, very proudly. But uh, on, the, on the case of wine, another thing, I agree with everything that has been said, but in the case of wine, I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense because many wineries in the United States and in Europe are owned by the same company or by the same uh, organization. So uh, when you hurt somebody, you may be hurting a US company that owns those wineries. So uh, that's another another way to 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 look that it's, it makes no sense to put uh, that kind of tariffs on these products that are are more multinational than, than people think. Well, I th I mean I think one of the things that's without a doubt true is that the wine industry here in the United States is very robust, and you know one of the things that makes wine different than other products is you're really always buying from a US company. You know, the way the three-tier system of distribution works in the United States, you're buying from a retailer or a restaurant. It's usually a small US business. That business is buying from a US distributor. That business is usually buying from a US importer who's only then buying from uh, a company in the EU. There's no such thing, for instance, as a Dom Perignon wine store. You're walking in, when you buy a bottle of wine here in the United States, 
you were walking into a US owned business, probably a family owned business, who is buying from a US owned wine distributor who is buying from a US owned wine importer. That's different than most many other products. You can walk into a, you know, if, if you want to go to Zara, you can walk into a, a Spanish EU owned retail store. You can walk into a Chanel store, which is an EU owned retail store. The distribution can be, re, can be EU owned. The manufacturer is EU owned. You simply cannot do that when you buy wine in the United States, even if you're buying European wine. Most of the companies that are impacted are US businesses. And that's, that's just a fact. Uh, th thank you very much. Are there any other questions or uh, comments? Um, we have, let me just see, I'm reading some of the chats here. Um, we have William. Uh, this is Rob. Hi, Rob, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I can't find the hand signal. <laughs> okay, we got you. <laughs> I'm computer illiterate. Uh, yeah, as uh, as Ben points out, uh, I mean, the, the, the Airbus tariffs have thus far, according to customs data, collected approximately slightly over $1 billion in tariffs. Uh, and while they can't be used for budget allocation determinations, that money still goes into the treasury. So the US government still gets the benefit of that money, even though under budget formulations, it, it isn't counted. The, the money is still there. The problem is where is that money coming from? Spen points out, and I, I think the problem with tariffs is that U.S. consumers are essentially paying most of those tariffs in the long run, and that uh, that limits their abilities to, you know, buy other goods by paying the additional amounts. Uh, tariffs harm harm the U.S. economy. I mean, the wine, domestic wine industry supports, uh, you know, the importers arguing against tariffs because they're fearful that. Uh, the wine industry takes a position that in a trade dispute, it should be commodity for commodity, wine for wine, beer for beer, aircraft for aircraft. And the, uh, the fear is that by continuing to allow USTR to sanction wine in an aircraft dispute is Europe someday will hit the wine industry with retaliatory tariffs. So they're out there uh, just kind of on a preemptive on a preemptive basis to, to protect themselves. Ben, any, any comment? Uh, I, think, I think that's exactly right. Uh, the US wine industry has absolutely no interest in these tariffs. We live in an ecosystem where we support one another. Uh, and it, it's, we're really in a situation where, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. Uh, and likewise, when the wine industry is suffering and the various parts of the wine industry is suffering, everyone is suffering. Yeah, and any other questions from anyone else? And if you don't know where their hand is, I, I cannot see it either because- Alan, a... Alan has his hand up. Okay, go ahead. Alan, unmute yourself. Alan is not unmuted. Uh, just yeah, there we go. I, I thought we'd get a display of wines and some recommendations of what's <laughs> you know in tour just now. How do they compare with the Canadian wine? Because I know it's very very much cheaper in the states compared to Canada. You mean wine is cheaper in Canada or cheaper? no no in the states? 
Oh, really? Wow. Oh, and yes. Very wine much. is expensive here. When, when I go back to Germany, you know, I, I can, uh, wine is a fraction of what I'm paying here. So I'm, I'm always wondered why that is. And if you compare Germany with USA and Canada, Canada right. stops in the highest charges. Wow. When we go across the border, we go berserk. <laughs> <laughs> um, so why are these tariffs so different? I mean, if you go to countries like Spain where, or France, you know, where uh, drinking wine with your dinner is pretty much um, a common law, is, uh, and, and wine is so affordable, why are wine prices so high in the US compared to the rest of the world? I was always wondering. If you go to South Africa, it is dirt cheap. What would cost you $5 there would cost you $25 here. And I, I think it's there. a question. I think it's, a, you know, you, in the U.S. you find wine at all price points. You can go to Aldi and for $2.89 get a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon uh, or, or right. Shiraz. Uh, you know, it's a question of cost, and cost, price, and quality. I mean, that that's that's the mixing point. And so, I mean, in the U.S., you can find price points at all at all levels. Uh, you really need to compare the brands to figure out what really the market differentiation is. But I, I did want to say one other thing on the Airbus tariffs. Uh, I mean, there is, for better or worse, some uh, some logic to to the madness of USTR. For instance, the in January when USTR. Uh, raised, uh, expanded the range of products subject to tariffs. Uh, they only hit France and Germany. As Ben has mentioned, France, Germany, Spain, UK are the four Airbus countries uh, in the subsidies. Uh, to me, that tells me that USTR is satisfied with what the UK and Spain have done to undo the tariffs, but they're not satisfied with France and Germany. So again, the, the goal of tariffs is to apply economic pressure to um, get you get the stakeholders in the country to go yell at their governments or or have Berlin go yell at or Paris go yell at Brussels to do something. So um, every time USTR does something, they have a specific reason for doing it. Um, and so uh, that's my takeaway from the January action. The action now about not making any revisions uh, that they're announcing in a federal register notice tomorrow. Um, I, I think they could have done more. I think it was very expected that the Biden administration was not gonna increase these tariffs in any fashion because of their trade policy articulation of rebuilding relationships with traditional trading allies. If they had done anything to enhance the tariffs, raise the tariffs, that would have completely negated that signal. What I'm disappointed is they did not issue some modest relief at a minimum. I think that would have sent a much more positive signal about rebuilding trade relationships. Thank you. I don't know, Hermes, if your hint was up from before uh, or if, if it's, <laughs> but uh, go ahead. No, I, I wanted to add something else more general, but uh, um, one of the problems that we have around the world is that 
regretfully, uh, wine and tobacco are, are usually, not, not wine, uh, let's say uh, uh, alcoholic beverage, except beer and tobacco, are always the first ones to be targeted with, with tariffs and, uh, uh, fr from the government. Because they, they, they keep saying, you know, if you want to enjoy a, a cigarette, you want to enjoy a drink, okay, pay for more for it. Because it's, it's not something that is of, of first uh, need, you know. In Costa Rica, for example, over the years, we are now up to 68% of tariff for uh, uh, alcoholic beverage uh, under 12 uh, degrees of, of alcohol, 12 or 13 degrees of alcohol. That means that if you want to import wine from so, uh, for anywhere, except those covered by free trade agreements like Chile, you have to pay before even you pay the distributor and the restaurant, you already have paid 68% of the value in, in tariffs for different reasons. So uh, this is one of the problems. I mean, uh, alcohol beverage where wine is included are always the first ones to be hit. And as I have tried to explain to the people is that wine is extremely different from the other alcoholic beverage. Wine, uh, and I tell them, when a person goes to buy wine, normally it doesn't come out of a, of a market only with wine. It will come out with some kind of, of meat, some kind of cracker, some, something to eat. I mean, wine is, is part of a chain of, 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 of buying things uh, uh, for that person. So uh, it's, it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's a business that is really hurt when, when more and more tariffs are put upon it. Good, good point. It's like gas, basically, you know, <laughs> by, the, by, by the, uh, the time to do this. I think, uh, Robert, uh, you had a comment. You sent some websites, but maybe you can explain what, what you're sending if you unmute yourself. First, uh, I want to say hello to Eleanor. You remember 10 years ago, we had a, a, a bright uh, uh, dinner in Barcelona with, uh, with wine. Yes. Well, I <laughs> I send you some some uh, uh, information concerning what is going on in Spain. The Spanish are not so afraid about what is going on in uh, in, in the states because uh, the price, the, the medium price of this of uh, the uh, wine exported uh, to uh, outside of Spain is more or less one point. 25 euro, you know, that means that, you know, it's a just uh, a below of all other. Only the on, uh, only South Africa has uh, um, better prices. And so I send you, I, I just put in, in the chat uh, two, uh, two information to website, uh, for example, the Spanish Observatory for Wine Market. So uh, you can have a look and uh, if you want to study that, it's very, it's quite interesting. I was speaking with uh, uh, my friend, I send a lot of people uh, of students in in, in La Rioja or in Montilla, Jerez, para uh, study, para do some uh, practice in this uh, zone, and they, 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 are, they are not afraid about what is going on. And we just had a meeting uh, with uh, the people of Montilla, it's a, called, a place near Cordoba, where I live, and uh, they, they are not afraid really by what is going on. And they expect that, you know, uh, they will, uh, le, the, the, the new administration, the new uh, American administration um, 
will uh, change some of, uh, uh, of these uh, taxes. But I am not a specialist, you know. Uh, I just uh, listened to you and I was very pleased uh, to uh, see you again, Eleonora. Ben, can you uh, share with us some closing remarks? Yeah, sure. Uh, effectively, for the moment, uh, the tariffs will probably be remain in place at the very least until the new Biden administration, uh, the new Biden team is at the USTR is in place and has had a chance to review them. Uh, whether that whether changes come about through um, changes in the tariffs themselves uh, during the during a carousel date or while they're still negotiating a large civil aircraft case or whether the changes come about through a negotiated settlement of the large civil aircraft case itself uh, is tough to say. Uh, we're certainly hopeful and strongly lobbying the, the Biden administration that the US wine and restaurant industry really can't wait for the LCA case to be completely resolved and put, put to bed. The USTR has it within their power to end all of the restaurant tariffs, including the tariffs on all of the tariffs on wine, all of the tariffs on food that so many US businesses uh, really require and, and benefit from. And it, it's something that's within their power. It, and in, in the context of the, the current pandemic, it's the right thing to do for the United States. So hopefully, these tariffs will be put to bed. Uh, sooner rather than later. I'd personally be very surprised if we had them through the end of this year, uh, but trade matters are very complicated. And certainly the, the first step that will need to happen is for the new US trade representative, uh, Catherine Tai, to come in to, to be confirmed by the Senate and come in and start to review these things. But are there, any, are there any members of Congress that are particularly um, friendly and, and uh, assisting um, using their, their um, pressure uh, and support of your position? Absolutely. Uh, in August, more than 165 members of the House of Representatives sent, sent the then USTR Robert Lighthizer uh, a letter asking for the removal of all, all these tariffs. Another 13 senators sent another letter. Just now, even today, I believe, Senators Collins, Senator Sinema, uh, and Senator Kelly are all sponsoring a letter to uh, President Biden asking for the removal of these tariffs. Uh, we had me meetings with uh, Senator Wyden a few days ago, uh, who is also going to be, we believe, lobbying uh, the president to end these tariffs. There's going to be quite a bit of, uh, of pressure from a range of allies in both the House and the Senate. Uh, for both USTR and President Biden to end all of these tariffs. There's broad recognition that they do more harm to small family-owned businesses here in the United States than they do uh, to companies abroad. And they are, in the context of this pandemic, incredibly inappropriate and should end immediately. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, yeah, thank you everyone for attending. Uh, thank you, Robert, Hermes, Robert, again, Alain, <laughs> Alan and uh, uh, Mona, as uh, she left, uh, for actively participating and everyone else on board. I see there's a few comments on Facebook and so forth, so we'll get to this. I wanted to encourage everyone who is not a member yet of World Tourism Network, you can find us at WTN.travel, WTN.travel, and you'll be joining uh, people like us from 127 countries now. Uh, please join, and I would welcome uh, the idea of a special interest group for wines. Maybe Eleanor or Ben 
um, or Robert or anyone who's interested in, in wines, this could be a really good subject. And I think uh, we would have broad uh, participation. If you wanted to do this, please let me know. If you wanted to listen to this live broadcast again, uh, it, it will be played on eTurbo News for the next uh, 20 hours or so back back to back. So you will see it and we hopefully get a lot of people watching us. And uh, at the end, it's all going to be on livestream.travel. And you can find this and also on wordexpo.travel. You can find this and many other uh, sessions. Since this is particular about wine, um, Eleanor is uh, under the eTurbo News family is publishing wines.travel. So we, uh, we already, uh, she already sent a story and um, where we also would include this video uh, on wines.travel about this session. Um, again, from um, Hawaii, I can only say aloha. Good morning. Too early for a wine here, so I'm going to finish my coffee, but looking forward to a glass of wine <laughs> tonight. I like the South American wine. I think I'm going to go and do it. They don't have the tariff problems, or do they have tariff okay, problems? I'd like to make a plug for our next uh, wine expert. Um, next week, we'll be, we'll be talking about champagne and how oh, the- It's getting better. <laughs> and how the champagne growers and producers are uh, dealing with and facing and, and overcoming the uh, the economic uh, conditions of, of our world. So if you're into uh, wines, uh, please, uh, we'll send you, uh, Thomas will, will be promoting the uh, on world tourism events, we'll have the information on the upcoming uh, conversation on champagne. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought this up, Eleanor, uh, and we would certainly invite everyone to join us live. Uh, you can go to worldtourismevents.com. Tomorrow, we're going to have a very interesting session with uh, Cuthbert Nikube. He's the uh, chairman of the African Tourism Board, and he was very sick with Corona. We also have Dr. Peter Tarlow and several others um, that have comments about the vaccine, how people feel. And I think it's going to be a, a very interesting um, event for anyone to attend. Cuthbert just sent me a message that we will go ahead because we weren't sure if he feels well enough, but he said he does, so that's good news. And on uh, Monday, I believe we have an event with the Minister of Tourism and the head of the tourism board from St. Kitts. It's an island in the Caribbean with only, I think, less than 40,000 people that pretty much stayed free of Corona altogether. And we find out how they do this and how they're promoting tourism again and still stay free of Corona um, till now and hopefully in the future. And uh, there are a number of other sessions. We're going to go uh, have our tour guide, 35 year um, to, uh, uh, international, I think it's the International Organization of Tour Guides next week uh, celebrating with us. And then we're going to have a uh, catch up with the African Tourism Board also later on this month. So just stay tuned, worldtourismevents.com. You can sign up and we see you all soon. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.